because I've yet to work out a way to succinctly introduce a podcast. So I just kind of press the button and hope that my um, I'm recording now brain will say something, if not witty, then at least vaguely not stupid. Uh, good evening, everyone. Welcome to um, welcome welcome to the, the your uh, welcome to the the space within which we talk about transport that is rail natter. It's episode. And electric vehicle chargers should be kept off pavements and waiting in the wings uh, or in the green room um, having, a, having a sip of coffee is, is Leo Murray, um, which is exciting. We're going to speak to Leo momentarily. In fact, you know, Leo, Leo's in the back. Hello, Leo. I hope you're well. Hi, Gareth. Hello. 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 <laughs> it's lovely to have you. Um, the, the last time we were on a multimedia output of some kind was uh, back in, wait, when was it? Like uh, November 2020. So yeah, almost three right. years ago, actually. You're talking about um, riding sunbeams and, and solar trains, people fixing the world. Um, for which, uh, when we were doing the preamble to this, you shouted at me and said, we need to do an episode on this too. And you're absolutely right. We really do. Um because yeah, you, you, there's been some progress on this on on the solar yes. train front, which is exciting. I mean, as with all things railways, I think it's painfully slow progress when it comes to rail infrastructure. But um, we are we 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 hopefully we're going to be doing a, a demonstrator, but of a prototype for a converter to allow us to inject power directly from solar panels into the overhead lines on AC traction networks. Because we've proven this uh, for the DC networks. We've done it outside older shops. Yes, yeah, you no, did for DC where it's quite a bit easier. Yeah. But, the, a the AC side is like, it literally needs a bespoke uh, piece of power electronics, which is what we've been working on the last couple of years. Which is very, which which, I, which I'm looking forward to us discussing in a future episode because it's really, really interesting. And it's it's like that classical thing where people say, well, we should have nuclear power trains. And I respond with, well, actually, <laughs> essentially all of Britain's electric trains are nuclear powered because that's where network rail sources its electricity. But actually we can also have solar power trains, but do not put solar panels on the train. That's stupid. Uh, put the yeah. solar panels around the infrastructure or in land that the railway might buy like india has where they've bought enormous amounts of land or or they actually just they owned loads of land and they've just put huge numbers of solar panels out to power lots of their railway um anyway that's that's the next that's another episode no because tonight tonight we're talking about it's not tonight by the way everyone it's three minutes past three in the afternoon just a little peek behind the curtain but anyway tonight um we're talking about this report that you put together street space invader well the you and the team at possible have put together street space invaders um which is very funny uh very good good work um i like this mitigating the growing risk that ev charging poses to scarce pedestrian space and and, and you did a thread you did like an explainer thread and um, based on this i report. did it was it's the longest that i've ever written i sometimes i sometimes i sometimes do like 100 tweet threads um which you know then people complain to me about it afterwards but uh in this case i just there's it's very information dense the support yeah. is long my comms team did not welcome you know they were like can't it be any shorter i was like no absolutely not <laughs> uh, it's a bit like an episode around that that's so that's so running right. gareth you know yeah, that's um, it. Impossible to put down. Um, Territory that I am familiar with, which is long form output. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we're, so we're the, the, the thread was the thread was appropriately scaled to the to the report, actually. Yeah, um, absolutely, and and both are equally appropriately scaled to um to an episode of Real Natter, which we're going to talk about this subject because it's key. Again, I, you know, we talk about actually, you know what? We will. I, I will do my EV discussion point. Once we've introduced the episode and we've introduced okay. you. So right. everyone, before I get carried away and going off on one, let's uh, let us let us get on with things, shall we? Everyone, welcome to tonight's Rail Natter.
And as the InCity 225 fades away, we uh, we start briefly with some very important news, which is that uh, Witness Vikings uh, legend Martin Afire has returned to town. And uh, here he is. I'm guessing by his stature, or rather by the by a process of elimination, that the two gentlemen uh, to the left here are not Martin Afire. Uh, and indeed that the gentleman, sort of the delivery guy in the back is also not Martin Afire. Martin Afire here stood next to it. Some of the worst charging infrastructure I have ever seen. This is, sorry, sorry, everyone. I have no idea any, of anything about Martin Afire. Um, he seems like a cool chap, nice shades, kind of going for the classic sort of uh, tight jeans, skinny t-shirt, suit jacket vibe. I could never carry it off. Um, the issue, however, here is... Uh, you sent me this, uh, Leo, because of this is some of the worst examples of like charging infrastructure that, that presumably you've seen, and certainly that I've seen. Look at this. What, what's what's? It, it does. It literally. It doesn't get worse. What's it doesn't this? Doesn't get worse than that. It's, the, it's Why is it in the middle of the pavement? It's like they've gone. Oh, the pavement is just the place at the edge of the road. Like, the no, amazing no. thing what? about this, I mean, I'm sure the tarmac finish doesn't necessarily help um, with them distinguishing between it. But the amazing thing about it is this is a promotional um, shoot. Oh you know, my they're, God. they're promoting this work, right? Oh That's why he's shown up. He's shown up to, um, you know, to promote EV charging. Uh, this is just <laughs> absolutely spectacular that no, nobody involved in this, <laughs> nobody involved in this, spotted the deliberate what mistake. What do they think just pavements are for? What do they think what people do with pavements? Stuff. It's the oh no, it's the thing you step out of your car onto and then you step yes. into the into the building. Right. It's just staggering. So this is what we want to talk to. This is what we want to talk about. And indeed. I'm gonna at, at, at long last, having kept Leo in the wings for far too long. Leo, hello. <laughs> it's just so hello, good to have you. Great. I finally have you on Rail Natter. Uh, yeah. Longtime friend of the show. Um, oh, I'm a huge fan. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's great to have you on and, and a subject because we've been bouncing various subject ideas. I mean, obviously the main one is the one we should have talked about ages ago, and we yes. will do an episode on. Um, we'll get around uh, solar trains. We will do it, but um. But this is but the fact you tweeted about this. This I, for some, I think I'd been talking about this recently. And your thread came out, and I just kind of it, it, my my brain did a normal kind of fireworks internal fireworks display. I thought, right, okay, Leo, this is it. This is what we're going to talk about on Real Matter. Um, and but first, Leo, introduce yourself. People might not know who you are. No, that's true. They might not. I am Leo Murray. I'm director of innovation and engagement at the climate charity Possible. Um, so you know, we're a climate action charity. We work where the transition of fossil fuels and, you know, towards a low-carbon society and economy uh, interacts with people and how they live their lives and the things they need to do differently. So we, we try to sort of, the thing that is uh, that differentiates us, I suppose, from most climate campaigns is we try to keep it positive and propositional. Yeah. Yep. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I might not always maintain those standards, but um, certainly our own, our organisational comms is, you know, intended to inspire people to, uh, to take the action that the climate crisis demands. So, Christ, opportunity on uh, Twitter yes, appropriately. Right. Uh, yes, exactly. So, uh, yeah, Murray was taken. It's owned by an egg. You an know, egg it's owned got, by uh, an egg who's never responded to any of my uh, uh, messages. So. That's a classic, yeah. absolutely classic. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I'm very lucky that that Gareth Dennis is an incredibly weird name that I think only pre the only previous Gareth Dennis I've ever come across is a, a murderer of uh, children in Manchester. So uh, thankfully, uh, that's way down on the rankings on, on, on Google now uh, because, and, yeah. And he hasn't got a Twitter account then. Uh, no, no, indeed not. So I, I was able to nab that one uh, however many, God, God knows how many years ago on that hell site I picked it up. Anyway, we digress. So, uh, we, so we're street space. So, it's probably worth both of us saying at the start of this, this is not an anti-EV discussion. 
absolutely no. not. And and whilst I the, the thing the thing I always say is that um, whilst cars are not the future for transport, you know they they hold their part of that future, but they are not the future. Um, contrary to government intention, EVs are certainly the future for cars. Like that that certainly is the future for for cars for you know um, for the for the majority of cars that people use. Some heavier vehicles might be hydrogen, but for most people, an EV is gonna is gonna be the future. It's gonna be the car that eventually they will have. Um, you know, yeah, so- I think that's succinctly put, you know, and yes, absolutely. Our position, the entire, just to be clear, you know, the entire road fleet needs to be electrified. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> otherwise yeah. we can't meet our climate targets. Um, but it's the, exactly, it's, it's the, it's the focusing in on, on EVs as the exclusive solution, which indeed is in fact, what is, what the Department for Transport, you know, since they published the Transport Decarbonisation Plan, they've rode back yeah. Um, so the CCC, the, Com- the Climate Change Committee's most recent progress report to Parliament, one of the things that it identifies as a problem is that the government has abandoned all um, ambitions towards modal shift yeah. to, to, to the extent that they are no longer quantifying any emissions reductions for modal shift. Which sort of gives you a clue oh. that they're not actually planning to implement yeah. any policy to do any. Um, it's absolutely extraordinary. But uh, yeah, it is extraordinary, especially what we'll come on to talk about and why it's important yep. for me and transport decarbonisation goals. You know, you cannot do it with a like for like replacement. It can't be like for like. It has to be million licensed yeah. uh, motor vehicles on the UK's it's, roads. It's about keeping existing cars running as long as possible. It's about. It's about not a like-for-like change. It's about reducing as many vehicles as we can on the roads, and then it's about the new vehicles that we do need becoming EVs. Yes. It's like it's like in that in that it's in that kind the, of order. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, so it's like it's like the thing that we were taught in the '90s, kids: uh, reduce, reuse, recycle. It's kind of that kind of that kind of logic. Anyway, we digress. Let us reduce the size of our faces and talk about the problem. So yeah. the problem. Um, here's quite a simple little graphic, uh, a little little pie chart here. Leo, explain to us what this is saying here, because pe- people might be able to pick it up by the fact that the the, the four colours refer to destination, on street, on route, and other. What's also the title that says distribution of UK parking might give it away? Tell tell us what's going it, on here. What, what what's this explaining? Well, so it's not it's not actually just the distribution of UK parking. It is the distribution of um of public charge points. Oh, this is the this is the UK charge. Oh, right. Yeah, so that that is what we're looking at here, and this is the current state of play or at least the October 2022, whenever, you know, the mo- most recent stats. It's actually yeah, slightly yeah. slightly newer than that, I think. But um, this, what you can see is that most ah, of that the public charging that. infrastructure that has been installed to date is at destination. So that is, you know, if you go to the supermarket, that's a destination charger, right? Or if you Service visit a station, national trust property and yeah. you're charging a car park. Yeah. Um, on route is basically motorway service stations. Oh, that's okay, okay. So on route, there. that's service stations, yep. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other big category is on the street. And that is the subject of the Street Space Invaders report. You know, this is the con- the stuff that is being installed in the very contested public realm. So it's, it's, it's public highways, um, shared space, you know, that does not just belong to motorists. Yeah. Um, and as you can see, about a third of the EV charge points to date, public EV charge points um, are in are on street and that pattern is expected to uh, to hold for the rollout so 
know, yeah, so this 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 uh, the, the the proportions will stay about the same even as this as this number in the middle. It's about a third of them need to be need to be on on street, and that is to serve um, motorists who don't have access to off street parking, which is which is uh, quite a lot of quite a lot of households, you know. So it's yep. very different in different parts of the country. But, um, you know, in inner London boroughs, most people don't have access to our street parking. Yeah. Uh, in, and, and in fact, the, the kind of urban development we want, actually, generally doesn't have lots of space dedicated to de- you know, dedicated parking. I, I unfortunately live in a... Uh, it, actually, the density of this... Is, it, it's, a, it's in theory an eco-estate that I live in. New build, relatively new build. But it still has loads of space for cars. Um Whereas actually a lot of the, you know, in the centre of York, where you've got lots of nice terrace streets, it's all on street parking, as is, as with lots of parts of the industrial north, it's all on street parking, and it's not really one car per household. We had notifications. I was trying to turn off the notifications. <laughs> <laughs> this is the advantage of a, of a pre-record, is that uh, also it means I can uh, cleverly go in and tidy up my, um, my, 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 my slide mess, which is also good. Um, yeah, don't worry, don't well, worry, so Leo, we're good. Sorry about that anyway, right. No, anyway. no, it's all fine. We're grand. So, um, yeah, I've done. I've, where, where where have we got to? We can we can we. Can, it'll all come out in the edit, everyone. Um, actually, I might just drop a test card in and fix the problem. So yes, we we know that this is uh, that we have this this challenge where we've got lots of houses in the types of development we want. You know, the, the, those those urban terraced houses are actually really good. They're generally pretty good for for the environment. Okay, the houses need a bit of insulation, but they're quite good because it's quite dense. Yeah, that's good. We want that. It means you've got walkable environment, uh, which is great. But it does make things tricky for people wanting to charge the cars, which is why you have this one third um, on street situation. Yeah. So exactly right. This um, and, and I suppose you, you've within your report you you go into a lot of detail about the scale because people perhaps don't realise the scale that we're talking about here. So. This is one 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 angle to look at scale. So from a UK perspective, by 2030, we expect there to be around 300,000 public charge points as a minimum in the UK. So that previous slide was 40,000. So we're talking about basically 10 times as many. In fact, you've, you literally say as much. 10 times as many charge points are required by 2030. That's not that many years away. That's seven years away. Um, uh, okay, there's a whole extra discussion to be had about what the hell the distribution network operators are going to do to put enough to, to create enough uh, yes. char- infrastructure to actually plug those things into without all of them like just providing like enough to charge a double A battery. But um, that's another story. But if we go, yeah, it's a di- different aspects of the problem. But yes, um... for sure. Uh, but if we then look at you know you look to London, um, yeah, almost all on street residential charges are in London at the moment, right? Yes, and and that will probably continue to be the case given the density of london as a city so it's fifty thousand by by 2030 50 000, um so they are, this is it they're springing up like mushrooms yeah. and um you know unlike unlike if you're trying to get funding for a rail enhancement project or, or an active <laughs> yeah. travel scheme there is a lot of money right mm. there's a there's a very very large amount of money and you know this is while everything while everything else was getting cut from the transport decarbonization budget i think if it's to do with cars um, you know, money's no object. So yeah. there's about uh, there's about 400 million in <sighs> just the local electric vehicle infrastructure fund, which is just for England, and it is just for on-street charging. It's targeting residential on-street yeah. charging. So th- there is a vast sum of money available for cash-strapped local authorities um, who you know scratching around for some way to fund some transport decarbonisation work. There's loads of money for that, you know, uh, and it's much, much easier to get your hands on. Yeah. So um, expect to see an enormous amount of this stuff 
appearing on streets near you. If you anyone who lives in a town or a city, yes, yeah. um, you know this is mainly where we're going to see this stuff. If you if you live in a place which does not have copious off street parking, you're you're going to start seeing um, on street EV charging appear. Which is, of course, it's a good thing, but it's not a uh, it's not an unalloyed good, which is yeah. what, which is what, what we're, we're going to start picking through exactly. So, let's jump to a let's jump to a slightly different angle then. So, so that's that's yeah. the the scale of, of charging infrastructure that's going to appear. If we jump back to the um, the. Uh, as we've just been talking about the transport decarbonisation plan, which we've, done, we've talked about in the previous episode of Rail Natter, you know, we've gone through it. As we've talked about, the funding has been cut, priorities slashed in relation to this plan, which was already a bit weak on modal shift. But even the modal shift targets have been more down. But let's take as read what is in that document. And yes. there are two, let's, two assume, things. let's treat these as if they, these is, this is still what we... This is nominally still government policy. Yeah, and Active so. Travel England are going to be at you know what's left of active travel yes. england is still going to be trying to pursue these you know their yes, their, exactly. their annual plan continues to restate these so even yeah. though the government right. funding has right. been cut they're restating this so i think it's quite reasonable to do that so there's two targets here that, that we've got right the, the, uh, in fact you know, take us through these two and and, and explain uh, what these two targets uh, are i mean they, they pretty much say what they do on the tin right yeah so i mean critically so i mean they, these were criticized in fact by uh transport decarbonization uh, campaigners as being a bit woolly you know what do they actually add yeah. up to in absolute terms you know we don't know and you know we, we aim to have half of all journeys in towns and cities cycled or walked by 2030 now that has that is elsewhere that is uh, phrased as we will aim to have half of all short journeys in towns and cities <laughs> yes so you can see how you know people are like well what show me the numbers you know what does this actually add up to yeah. but um, but still that is a uh, it's a very, very big change if you're in uh, parts of parts of the country where um, very few journeys are currently walked or cycled. And um, this is, you know, world-class cycling and walking network. What is a world-class walking network? You, 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 you might yeah. ask, right? Yes. And that is about the, it's about the quality of the walking and wheeling environment, right? So for people uh, who are making trips on foot or by wheelchair, um what what's in that environment right and um you know that it's it's about the surfaces that you're traveling on um it's about severance from roads you know how long does it take to cross obstacles but crucially it is also about what are you contending with yeah. on on the footway right what do you actually have to navigate your way through and of course if you have driven a car on the road recently, you will note one of the, the, the distinguishing features of the road is that it's clear. Yes. <laughs> There's not loads of stuff in your way. Um, you just you can just it, drive. Right? In fact, it, yeah. and York is a, a classic example of this. Enormous efforts have gone to to ensure that there is nothing in the way. Uh, I, 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 the previous flat that Dean and I lived in, we were on the end uh, at the end of a, a street called James Street that, that some people might be familiar with. At Barkham Way, it starts us, and it's like an urban. Sorry, it's like a rural A road that they've built right in the middle of York. It's abs It's like graded, smooth curves. It's really wide. Like the lane width is like DMRB rural width. It's just bonkers that they've built built this sweeping thing. It's just insane, and that is just classic British urban design is to just and this is what we come to, we've come to expect you know so yeah. we, we're trained it's a surprise when there's something in when there's an obstacle in the road it's it's a surprise to find that there's yeah. an obstacle in the yeah, road yeah. whereas 
um, you know, as pedestrians, we spend all our time doing the Wilkin, doing the uh, O'Driscoll sidestep, you know, as it were. Uh, uh, and, and and it's yeah, we're just used to the fact there's crap in the way. Whether it's whether it's all the whether it's there's roadworks and all the roadworks signs get put in the pavement. Whether it's you know, oh, we've Wheelie got a, bins, we, a, a boards, you know, advertising a boards, yeah, yeah, uh, pavement parking in the oh, you know, pavement parking. Where, where, they mustn't block the road, obviously. Yeah. So, um, you know, where else are they going to go? I mean, uh, I think by my own reckoning, right, nearly all of the damage, the damage to pavements, like pavements don't break from people walking on them. No. So when you're walking on a cracked pavement, you know, that's not because a very heavy pedestrian has passed that way recently. Fourth power um, law. It's fourth power rule. It's just, it's it's vehicles. And it's probably a, deli- a heavy delivery vehicle reversing yeah, over it. Yeah, almost certainly a heavy. A or, heavy an, or these days, an SUV, yeah. So there's, there's two So there's these two targets. On the one hand, you've got, by 2030, a, a mode shift aspiration. And by 2040, an infrastructure aspiration. So exactly. there's the, the behavior so aspiration things, and the build and they, environment and together, aspiration. Yeah. They're both required to deliver the just out the goals of the transport decarbonisation yeah. plan. Require both things to happen. They require yeah, yeah, yeah. they require all this charging infrastructure for uh, people to switch to electric vehicles, and they require um, you know the world class cycling and walking network is needed to to support a shift for half of all journeys in towns and cities to be made by walking or cycling. So you got you have to do both of these things. Yeah, and 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 and. and- and it plugs into, in fact, yes. Yeah, so we've got this hierarchy of road users that came up with it with the update of the highway code. Uh, very welcome. This is the graphic from the DFT, which is, isn't very good. So I'm going to jump us to um, the a, a screenshot from the website of Transport Scotland, who um, uh, actually, okay, their graphic is also not very good, but it's much better in terms of showing the a broader subsection of what that hierarchy looks like. There, you know, there's someone with a guide dog. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There's there's yeah you know, wheelchair. There's 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 non-standard cycles, um, and then yeah various things. And so so the hierarchy being well, in fact, tell us tell us what the hierarchy is. Um, although I'm sure people can work out, but tell us what the hierarchy is and tell us why this is particularly relevant to what we're talking about. Given that we just talked about these two conflicted, well, not necessarily conflicted, but these two, you know, EV vehicle desire and mode shift desire. Why is that, you know, why is the hierarchy relevant to that? So the the hierarchy exists for, there's actually, there's a, there's a quite a range of reasons, yeah. right? So active and sustainable and efficient transport modes. So, so private motorized transport is extremely inefficient. So it's extremely inefficient in terms of energy use, uh, but it's also extremely inefficient in terms of space. Yeah. So, you know, this is what causes traffic jams is that in most of the cars that you see on the road, all of the other seats are empty. So there's just a driver. And, you know, this is about about two thirds of all trips in London are driven with no passengers. Um, and it's a similar figure, I think. Uh, the average in the UK is 1.1 people. Yeah. 1.5 at commuter times, but but 1.1. What's the average number of seats in a car? You know, so basically people are traveling around with, um, you know, a three piece suite everywhere they go and (laughs) a ton and a half of of steel and glass. Um, So this is one reason why the private car is at the is at the bottom. Um, So it's energy inefficient, it's space inefficient, and it's also highly polluting. Um, So currently now, obviously, electric vehicles start to start to change that dynamic. But, um, it's also safety, uh, actually. While while I'm while I'm while, while we're kind of thinking of, talking about the hierarchy, safety as well, because the safest mode yes. uh, should be if you got rid of cars, because the cars are the ones that cause a lot of the pedestrian fatalities. If you got rid of the cars or deprioritize the cars, walking is very very safe. Yeah, uh, pedestrians, slowly, pedestrians don't, don't crash into one another and cause fatalities. Yes, right? exactly. Um, you know, there's a great graphic I urge people to go and have a look at, which is produced by Pact, which is the uh, the parliamentary 
Well, I'm not going to be able to remember the rest of the acronym, but it's a it's a who kills who yeah. on the roads graphic. Um, and yes, what you will see is you don't have pedestrians um, pedestrians crashing crashing into each other and causing KSIs killed and seriously injured. So yeah. um, it's it, it's it's also about safety, right? So um, the road user hierarchy and gear change it is predominantly about that. It's yeah. about who is most exposed, who is most vulnerable to uh, serious harm from a collision and who has the most capacity to cause serious harm. And that's why, in fact, you know, really, we should be seeing HGVs, you know, in, in gear, HGVs are all the way, they're underneath private cars, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, there, there are all these different dimensions that go into it, but also, um, you know, active, active travel is good for you. So it's unlike, unlike other transport modes where you're sedentary and it's doing nothing for your heart rate, it's doing nothing for your health. Active travel is actually, you know, it's, it's required indeed to maintain good health. You, you have to be doing them, um, you know, so why Fitbits today to do 10,000 10, steps yeah. a day? That's, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a reason for that. So, so there's lots of different dimensions to why you have the hierarchy in the way that it is. Um, it is what I would say about the hierarchy is it's a nice idea. Yeah. Um, it is basically still theoretical. Yeah. Now, um, you know, which is which is exactly I think the it's that it's that the, policy. The, I suppose it's it's the key thing, as you say. It's 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 theoretical because the theory is that you prioritize you from a policy perspective. The policy. So if you look at a blank, if you look at a street space, a, a, a street environment, an urban environment. The priority should be right. First of all, what are the desired lines for pedestrians? Build yeah. the infrastructure for those. Then, right, okay, how do we fit cycle paths around that? Then it's right, let's see where the bus could go. Is the bus going to fit along there? And then at the very end, you go, right, okay, so we've done all that. How are we going to get the private car in here? Okay, we're going to maybe have a bollard, and if it's a local person, they might have a radar key, and they come in. That's how you should be, you know, particularly for somewhere like yeah. York, you know, which has you know, uh, you know, a perfect set of walls surrounding it, allowing you to actually make it properly pedestrianised, which it isn't. Um, that's the That's in theory the hierarchy. Yes, but in practice, <laughs> look at how the DFT calculates. Um, you know, the tag appraisals yeah. where you're assessing a transport infrastructure project for value for public money that values time savings to motorists more highly than time savings to pedestrians and yeah, cyclists yeah. so you can see i mean that's just one example there are many many examples and that's what you know this report is is digging into like it is basically just it remains hypothetical yep. hypothetically this is the hierarchy right this is the road user hierarchy in reality um and not just the reality on the streets as they are but in the reality of policy and how we're implementing it, yep. and you know infrastructure spending and everything, it's really the other way up. Yep, very very frustrating. So, kind of, I suppose, jumping forwards, uh, related to that, but jumping forwards, there's a report by um, actually there is a report here which was done for for the the GLA for the Greater London Authority, um, which talks about what the transition looks like. So now we're we're kind of jumping subject a little bit, um, but keep keep the hierarchy in the back of your head. Yeah. It's important. Talk, right? so, so, so talk through this report. Tell, tell us about this report and, and then talk about the graphic that's on uh, that's on screen, what it means and how it relates to our problem. So in 2021, the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, um, committed to achieving net zero for London in 2030. Now, that is 20 years sooner than the legally binding targets in the Climate Change Act um, that we're committed to at a national level. Um, and it's 
pretty much as soon as it could might re, it might be feasible for anybody to you know to achieve this at a scale of a city like London. Um, lots of places did this. So loads of places in 2019 and 2020 declared climate emergencies, and yeah. then a lot of them then went on to adopt near-term net zero uh, targets. And that turns out to be extremely challenging to achieve. Perhaps yeah. not very surprisingly, the. Sadiq commissioned that uh, Element Energy, who are very respected consultancy, do work for governments all over Europe, um, and they produced a series of pathways, right? So scenarios mm. for achieving net zero by 2030, so achieving this target. And the central scenario in there, the one which the mayor has sort of gone on to adopt, at least nominally, is the accelerated green scenario. And that this is what you're looking at here. Um, and you can see i'm just going to deal with the the red bar all the way on the right just yes. having a quick look at that right what you're looking at there is residual emissions so we will not in fact be at zero emissions in 2030 that probably won't be a surprise to anyone who who follows this stuff closely um but those are going to be the remaining emissions which will have to be dealt with through ideally through um sequestration but almost certainly through offsetting yeah. So the, do you be as practice so, of offsetting? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we we this which I, I I don't regard as credible. I don't, it's not really regarded as credible. Most people who even people who are espousing it and writing it into pathways don't really believe in it as an approach. But it makes it possible politically to imagine yes meeting targets, which is really the function it's performing here. So yep. just just having got that out of the way, if you look across the the other bars, the things that are of relevance here is that you've got uh that 0, 0.9 gray bar in low emission vehicles that is cars now that is not just uh it's not just passenger cars i mean sorry it's not just private cars that includes taxis and phvs yeah, yeah. as well um and that is basically electrification there's a bit of efficiency gains as well in, in traditional internal combustion engine vehicles but it's mostly evs right that's that's what that effect is and then if you look next to that next door to that on the left in in yellow is the behavior change part decreased vehicle use now aka modal shift um that's nearly all modal shift some of it is trips not being made because people are working from home and so on, say, a little bit of evaporation yeah. but mostly but yeah it's yeah. Mo it's mostly people do, making their journeys by other means rather than private car and what you can see is that these are comparable in terms of their contribution to meeting the target. So, um, you know, they make a roughly uh, a, a roughly equivalent um, contribution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Contribution to emission reductions, so particularly if you if you think, you know, there's a lot of taxis and private hire vehicles doing a lot of miles in London. And if you take those out of the frame, probably private cars is probably about 0.7, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, equivalent to this mode of shift. So you can see uh in the numbers you can see that this shift to walking and cycling um and and public transport is uh at least as important just in straight up carbon terms and there are lots of other reasons why yeah. you know there are lots of other social benefits of and course so on, yeah, yeah. Of, of this but just in straightforward emissions reduction terms it, it, it's broad it's broadly as important yeah, that's a really key thing. I don't think I've ever, I've talked about it a lot because of all this stuff, because of all the yeah. other, the, the kind of other stuff we refer to, the social stuff, but I don't think I've ever had it graphically represented on an, you, a rail matter yet. This have, is 
it's really few good. people have done analysis like this yeah. right that's the that's the reality is, is that it's it's not it's it's an underexplored area of policy making in particular so this, yeah i think i think the central alternative technology have looked at the numbers on a on a uk wide scale because i think i think greens for hs2 and myself and previously and pete yes. johnson friend of the show uh, hi pete um has used that those numbers but they're quite broad sweeping this is a more detailed than out that this this element energy analysis is much more detailed analysis and and central alternative technology would admit themselves that they're not it's not their bread and butter whereas for this this is element energy's bread and butter so it's a really right. nice robust thing to look at that it's really worth good. it's worth saying that the headline sort of what does that mean for car traffic in london and like well it, it's a 27 percent at least reduction in mm. car miles being driven in london by 2030 which is an absolutely unprecedented uh, scale of reduction. We we have not seen anything like that. Right? That's yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. The, the only thing that can cause reductions of that scale um, is is COVID. You know, it's just you know it's, yes. that's that's. So we've seen the behavioural change happen, um, and actually quite a few people quite enjoyed London when the cars weren't around. Indeed, I think quite a lot of people enjoyed quite a lot of their places that they lived when there weren't any cars around. Uh, indeed, you can set, you can tell that by how many more people were cycling when there were lots fewer cars around. That inverse quite, relationship. Quite a, of, quite a lot of it has been sustained. The, the cycling, you know, people who took it up in the pandemic um, in places that have the right infrastructure to support yeah. it. Exactly. In places that have put in cycle lanes and low traffic neighbourhoods and so on, you're seeing sustained elevated levels of cycling. Yeah, which is brilliant. Um, which yeah. again comes back to get the get the urban environment right and you can embed that behavioural change. So talking of getting the urban environment right, this is um, the now slightly dusty. I think this was last updated in 2007. And you can tell because it's back in the day when people made their PDFs emailable. So all the graphics in this PDF are crap. Um, but yeah. the uh, to the point where even the logo, which I think that's the Welsh Assembly Government logo of the day, is is just like six pixels. It's rubbish. But um, it's still, this is still it's a good document. Right? Yeah. So lots yeah. of the stuff in Manifest Streets, you know, Manifest Street, yeah, like you say, it's been around for a long, long time. Um, but it is still Manifest Streets 2 is the standard that people are supposed to meet. Um, now, for cycling, it's been replaced LTF 120, local yeah, transport yeah. 120 and everything. But for, but for the walking environment, there's not a comparable... Um, new, yeah, you know, I was, I was LTM 120 is great, but a part of me is sad that it wasn't just included in an update because I don't like the idea of splitting out. I think you should think of them together. I, I, anyway, so yeah. Any, anyway, so look, the key, these are key passages. You know, you pulled out yes. some absolutely key passages here. Obstructions on the footway should be minimised. Um, you know, this is the standard all street designers are supposed to be trying to meet. Street furniture is typically sighted on footways and can be a hazard. For blind or partially sighted people, it can also be an obstacle for people who are using mobility aids or are encumbered in any other way. You know, double buggies, uh, elderly people with walkers, and or, so or on. glued to Twitter. Now, um, this is the key. Yes, walking into <laughs> lampposts. Uh, this is the absolutely key thing. Although much street furniture is provided for the benefit of motorised users, it's generally located on the footway and can contribute to clutter. In some instances, it may be possible to reduce footway clutter by placing some of these items on build-outs. Now, this is a particular, like, this is one of those things that when you, it's one of those things where once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. And then yeah. everywhere you go, you, you you start to notice it. So that when you look at beautiful footage of um, London and other cities from the turn of the last century, and you're looking at it and you're thinking, why is this so beautiful? You know, the first thing that you realise is, oh, there's no cars, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. why this looks over. People are just walking cars, everywhere. There's some horses, yeah, yeah. you know, but it, it, you know, that that's a big part of it. And there's lots of people. Um, but then you suddenly realise 
There's no road markings. There's no signage. Yeah. There's no. There's none of this stuff which has proliferated in our urban environments. All of which is there to serve in some way to guide or curtail um, motorists, yeah. right? People in cars. And then when you look at where is this stuff, it's nearly all been put on the pavement. Oh my goodness, man! Um, yeah, it just. It's incredible. I mean, I direct people to uh, um, to, to Paris Marx's book. Their, their, their book describes this the, the kind of the politics behind the process within which the automobile manufacturers and lobbyists pushed to basically completely transform our urban environment into one that allowed cars to flow freely. Um, and it's it's so pervasive. But it, even down to think, I think one of the biggest one of the biggest mistakes that was made in in, in policy for parking. Um, is is the is the fact that the the, the anti parking markings have to be proactively placed? It should have always been that you can only park where there is a line, rather than you can 100%. only park where there isn't. Exactly, we should have marked out places where people can park, not just park anywhere that there isn't a line telling exactly. you can't do it. Just an enormous and obvious mistake that that has just caused us. That's going to be very difficult to reverse. Yeah, so hard to reverse. So look, I mean, I think that yeah, this build outs point is absolutely critical here. Yeah, and there's a picture later on of, of a build-out. We'll, we'll yeah. show you everyone if, so, if you want yeah, to know we'll what build-out looks exactly, like. Yeah. We'll get on to talk about that. But this is basically the the street furniture. One of the things that I have been most struck by in uh, in doing this research was learning that um, you know basically without exception, if you are a highways authority, you are free to do anything you want to the pavement. Yeah, and you can just do do whatever you like. So um, although there's all this good practice guidance, the good practice guidance is not in fact prescriptive in that it has no statutory force, right? Yeah. There isn't any actual duties um, that are that are enforceable around this. Um, you know, there's not even such a thing as a proper minimum footway width, which is yeah. you can't do because many of the pavements are, are too old. They predate it and, you know, you'd have to go around spending loads of money stealing space from cars golly yeah, yeah so so it's all just guidance and good practice whereas if as a highways authority you want to do something to the carriageway and you want to repurpose a parking space that has been designated for parking you, that triggers a statutory yeah. consultation process which is very costly and time consuming um for officers so you can see just right off the bat there's a like so you've got to put some new stuff on this street where are you going to put it if yeah. you're a council, you're going to put it on the pavement. Because because highways officers are uh, very difficult to recruit because it's a, a, a often a very rubbish job because you're so overworked. Um, very few and far between, underpaid, and generally getting shouted at by a lot of people. It's a difficult job being highways officers, and... and uh, I've not had great time and success with the with the York Highways officers, but uh, partly because there aren't very many of them and they, they've got too much to do. But it's a it's it's an incredibly important role. One of the most important climate roles in the country is the council highways officer, and they are not treated well or paid nearly enough, and therefore there aren't many of them. So yeah, we need more of them. And if we jump to you know we jump to London's walking action plan, yeah, to kind of kind of continue this theme, um, very it's a similar story, isn't it? Yeah, it's really really clear. Street changes of any kind will be required to benefit people walking. Now, again, like this is uh, the mayor doesn't have the mayor is not the highways authority yeah. for any London borough. Right. The London boroughs themselves are the highways authorities and they have some statutory responsibilities to help the mayor to achieve targets. So the you know, things like the London plan, um, but also the mayor's transport strategy 
which requires major modal shift to walking and cycling and public transport. So they are required to then produce their own policies that contribute to, and there are indicators which they're assessed against. And, you know, TfL controls, uh, so, you know, central government funding doesn't go straight to London boroughs for transport projects. It goes via the mayor mm. and therefore, you know, there's, there's some levers he can pull there. But basically, um, the highways authorities are independent agents in London. Um, so although this is this says street changes of any kind will be required to benefit people walking, there's not actually recourse. There's not there's very yeah. little um, which you can actually do, um, TFO or, or the mayor, to ensure this is taking place. Um, but their own research, you know, TFL have lots of research, and actually the walking action plan is is a, is excellent. It's very good, and mm. you know, this is the strategic strategic walking um, analysis is just it's well worth the read. I mean, there's a couple of things in it which are just, just worth your audience uh, hearing, which is that about half of all walking in London is as part of a, a multimodal trip, really? which yeah. is involving public transport. Yeah. So, you know, that is like half the miles being walked are, are being walked two bus stops, two train stations, and so on. And which then is the, lesson, the other Which thing, is a lesson for the planners of the of those infrastructure systems to know that they need to make sure that, that it's as permeable as possible, that you make it as appealing for walking and cycling as possible. Sorry, yeah, go on. Yes, exactly. And loads of, you know, loads of rail stations in London, it's like you leave the station and it's like an incredibly hostile environment. Yeah. But of course, how else are you leaving the station? You're going to leave the station on, on foot. Um, and then the other thing is just that... Um, areas at the top of public transport access so p tower levels you know public transport access levels london has very granular data on this mm. um which is you know how far are you from a bus stop is you know uh isochrones to key yeah. um amenities and so on right so your public transport access levels do vary in london quite widely not as not as widely as you know not as widely as outside of the city but places at the top of the p tower uh, spectrum People who live in those places walk twice as far as people at the really? bottom of the pizza spectrum, twice as far yeah. in, a, in, a, in a typical year, um, which just goes to show how, you know, actually public transport is walking infrastructure. In yeah, fact, it's, yeah. um, you know, and it's probably the most important thing that you can do, uh, you know, it probably even more important actually than the quality of the walk of the walking environment. If you just look at it in straight numbers terms. Yeah. Uh, but yeah the next yeah. thing on the list is the quality of the walking and moving yes. environment. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's this quote that, 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 that that's within the, the, the action plan. Crowded and obstructed streets and pavements not being wide enough are among the most frequent and annoying pain points cited by people walking. We've already alluded to this, but that quote is quite a neat and people really absolutely key quote. hate stuff on the pavements. They yeah. hate it. And if you are someone who is mobility impaired, it's not just that you hate it. It can physically prevent you from making a trip. Right. And it can certainly, even if it doesn't make it physically impossible, it can deter you, it can make it so difficult that you are deterred from traveling that way again in the future. You know, we work with Wheels for Wellbeing, the cycling, disabled cycling charity uh, on this project. You know, they're incredibly helpful sounding board for me. Um, and I, you know, I learned an, an awful lot from talking to them. But it, it, it is, you know, for, for people for whom it's a challenge already, you can you can just make it, you can tip the, tip the scale so that they just don't even bother to try. Um, so bad walking environments will will induce car trips. Yeah. Um, and crucially, like there's a brilliant there's a piece of research by the Centre for London a couple of years ago, um, which asked, asked Londoners what their priorities for the for for the for streets 
right for the curb side it's called rethinking the curb the, the report yeah. and um top of the list the very top is footways clear from you know clear yeah. clear pavements right and yes they want ev chargers as well but if a long way down the list right the thing that's at the top of the list is is footways that are clear from clutter um and of course you know that's what we have in the roads the yeah. roads are clear from clutter Roads are clear, and and actually, cut the clutter is a really nice. It's, it's a really nice kind of campaign lead that Living Streets have, have pushed, and and they've gone for this this, this one in four quote. Twenty six percent of British people say they would be more likely to walk locally if their pavements were free of clutter. It's clear. It's so clear from Centre for Cities, from TfL's work, from Living Streets. It's absolutely clear that this is a key priority of people across Britain, of all people across Britain, is to have clear pavements to have and in clear terms of what, what can you do if you're a, if you're a local authority and you are trying to contribute to this target of in, increasing the share of trips that are being made by walking what can you do about that right the, the the one of the one of the key levers that you have available to pull one of the key policy levers is clearing pavements of clutter yeah. because you control the pavements yeah. so you can do that if you choose to yeah, absolutely. So, uh, there's a, and indeed, we're talking about the amount of research. There's another paper, this 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 paper done by um, RIDC, the, the Research Institute for Disabled Consumers, going electric. And this this really puts a ribbon on everything we've talked about, I think, because it talks about the challenges of, of, of street space and the threat posed by all this new EV infrastructure. Um, and- it's a depressing read because the key, the key thing from this is that or, or all of this public EV charging infrastructure that has been installed to date, basically none, effectively none of it is accessible to disabled drivers. So you're placing, replacing obstacles in the way of disabled pedestrians, people are t- traveling under their own steam, um, but also it's not adding any utility to the public realm yeah. for even for disabled drivers because they can't use it. No drop curbs, no um, no tactiles if needed, no all the things that would make that easier to use for people with various disabilities, whether it's in a wheelchair or or whether it's a you know whether they've got uh, issues with their sight. None, none of those are none, none of that. <laughs> just, just, just you know, just real challenges. There's, there's, there's a lot. Yeah, it's a pretty bleak read this one, but it's, it's worth flicking through if, if you have any involvement in this side of policy. It's worth flicking through. All of this combines. I think all of this combines. And you've, uh, and I've paraphrased you here. I want to say this is. Uh, sometimes I come up with nice snappy lines, but this is, this is yours. This is, this is your. I've slightly paraphrased here, but the pressure to rapidly deliver EV charging infrastructure represents a serious threat to modal shift to active travel. I think that's the key message here. That is exactly that. That is that is the key. That's that is the key finding of this. You know, at the at the outset, in terms of characterising the problem, we've got these two goals, which are broadly of equal importance. Yep. But we've got a regulatory and incentive and funding framework, which is perverse because it yeah. is causing meeting one of the targets is going to undermine our ability to yeah. meet the other target. Yeah, which is just, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And it does not have to be that way. And yeah, I think this, um, so the, the gear change, we jump to gear change again. Gear change, a genuinely very good document. It picks in, yeah. it refers to yeah, LTN yeah. 120, uh, but also it pulls in quite a lot of other stuff. Of course, the funding related to it has has, been, has somewhat evaporated, but there's there's a quote here. There's a, there's, a big, there's a big paragraph here, but there's a quote within it that I think is, 
in fact, that you've picked out. I'm not going to pretend these are all really your slides that I've just natterified. Um, on a busy shopping street, for instance, perhaps 75% of users may be pedestrians, but they may be confined to narrow pavements, taking perhaps 20% of the space. So it's again this inequality, this 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 inequality that that, that exists here. So there's there are clearly problems with the way, with the deployment and the conflict here. And, and you've got this 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 little graph again. I th I'm trying to remember where this this graph is from. This might have been a TFL output, actually. Again. Yeah, it's one of the one of the Transport for London reports. So this is showing this graph here. In fact, tell us what Leo. What what we're we looking at? We've got many this is many London borough laid yeah. out in a laid out in a line with the proportion of the road space that is taken up by um, by parked vehicles belonging to residents in and on street parking. So and, this is um, for Wandsworth. No, I live in West London. Yeah, look at Wandsworth. Bloody, you know, nearly Wandsworth 20%. Oh, yeah. my God. One metre of every five metres of road parking. <laughs> Absolutely everywhere you look. And, you know, if you're a borough like Hammersmith and Fulham, only 10% of people and fewer than 10% of, uh, of Hammersmith and Fulham residents are driving to work. Yeah. Right? Um why why is why is 18% of the public realm um taken up with their cars it really makes very very little sense but you know it, it's one of those things that has just happened over time mm. without um without being planned uh you know it's, it's remarkable so, it really is it, it's it's quite stark and these additional vehicles is people with other cars as well it's quite interesting that we go to richmond as richmond I, I might be wrong visually, but it looks like Richmond is the has the dubious accolade of being of of having the most additional vehicles as a percentage of the road space taken up by other yeah. cars. So that's second yeah, yeah, cars, two car households. That's yeah, right. golly, which which I suppose for those who know London and know Richmond, that would that would figure. Um, it's very nice, but that that it flies. Um, so how do you know, how do we resolve this, and, and and what are the ways that we can fix this? So I've put up. In fact, there's a couple of a couple of documents here. That, yeah. Tell us about these documents and why. What, right, so, how do these fit in? So the first one is a, is a new BSI standard uh, that Motability have worked on with uh, with the British Standards Institute, and this is uh, for accessible public EV charge points. Um, now it was only published uh, late last year, and progressive local authorities are working their way through how are they going to produce designs you know what what's 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 actually compliant how they're going to comply um lots of places are still rolling out ev chargements that are non-compliant um with this uh and i'm afraid i think we're going to continue to see that but you know even the places very well in london the london local authorities that you know that emerge looking good from our analysis still told us that they are they're still working on their designs right so you know uh, you're going to show a slide in a bit of a ev charge point on a curb build out and that is an example of good practice but it's it's still not accessible it's to not the same accessible yeah, yeah 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 right um so this is this is very new but it's brilliant that the standard now exists um and then meanwhile you know the other thing you've got on this slide is uh, london's streetscape guidance uh which is extremely clear and emphatic that um, I mean, street furniture in general, but it specifically talks about EV charge point placement. And there is a whole nother document, which is um, guidance from TfL to local authorities on how to do on street EV charge point placement. And um, there, you should never leave two meters 
right, is the clear footway with that is required to be maintained. And you should never be installing any street furniture that is leaving less than two meters. And that is that's for a quiet residential street. You know, the numbers are much bigger if you're talking about a, a busy high street where most of the, you know, with a lot of pedestrian footfall, you want three, you want four, you want maybe even five meters, yeah. right? And it's 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 very, very clear that you mustn't ever fall below this level. So it's not just about disabled access, but it's also about pedestrian comfort. So pedestrian comfort levels, it, that is the thing that you need to increase if you want to, if you want to induce walking trips. Yeah. If you want to get people to take trips they weren't making by walking before, you have to improve their their comfort levels. And pedestrians are uncomfortable on any pavement that's less than two metres wide, because if as soon as you pass in a pedestrian coming from the other direction, um, you know, you you're 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 coming into you're coming into somebody else's space. Yeah, yeah. Know, particularly post-COVID, have... actually. We've all got embedded this this idea of, of maintaining, you know, social distancing now. That's all embedded a little bit in our brain. So we're even more characterized to, to spend give everyone a little bit more polite space when we pass them on the street. Absolutely. So so two so two meters as the minimum width, right? Great. But then if you actually walk about on, on residential streets in London, they rarely are two meters wide. Now. Right? Yeah. So what that tells you is most of these streets can't accommodate any new street furniture yeah. without um, without seriously affecting both access for people with access difficulties and pedestrian comfort levels, which is going to undermine your walking targets. So on that subject, let's look at London and the state of play. So you've got a few really nice graphics in your report. Um, these three I've I've stuck in. Talk us through. All this. So we've got three graphics. Two of them are London boroughs in, in various shades of colour. And then the third is is a kind of a, a, a relative numbers, percentage numbers per uh, borough of, of different types of, of charger. But, but talk us through each of these in turn. Yeah, yeah, great. So look, this is the result of a FOIA investigation. So Freedom of Information uh, request sent to every London borough. Um, asking them a series of questions about their EV charge point policy and practice. And um, the first figure, figure four, shows is a map of public EV charge point citing policy. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so what is their policy and is it aligned with best practice? Because like we talked about, there's oodles of best practice, right? There's no end of best practice guidance that says don't put EV charge points on pavements, especially where it's leaving less than two meters width, right? Um, but do people, do the highways authorities that are responsible for actually installing this infrastructure, do they have policies in place that are in line with that best practice? And the answer is quite a lot of them do. So the dark green is policy to site on the carriageway. Um, but that's still only like a quarter of boroughs. Um, yes. And then uh, uh, about the same again, have a minimum footway with policy. So they actually didn't say, in many cases, they didn't say what that was. And there's a few different ways you could <laughs> interpret the guidance. But, um, but you know, that is at least they're, they're thinking about the footway. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, the pedestrians are in mind. Quite a few places just have no policy. So all of that pink, the light pink, is just we don't have a policy on that. Um, the yellow is we don't have one now, but we're working on one. We're thinking about it. We're on the case. Which is okay. Um, There's one big... Now, now, you're going to laugh at me if I get this wrong, but uh, this is me going back to my student drunk sporkle days. Is this Westminster? No. Close. Damn. But no, but no cigar. No, it's next door. That, that is Hammersmith and Fulham. That's so, Hammersmith and Fulham. So, okay, yeah. Oh, so this Westmith is Westminster. Is right yeah, okay, yeah. So Hammersmith and Fulham was the only London borough that whose response to this question was 
our policy is to always side them on the footway. And uh, oh you know, they had a sort of qualifying. They, they, they were like, you know, we always cite them on the footway because of the electrical infrastructure required, which is a very weird thing to say because it's like irrelevant. You know, so, it's like, yeah, so, so many what? of their. <laughs> so it, it's actually, it seemed to relate to. So I should just say, in, in Hammersmith and Fulham's defense, because I'm going to talk more about them now. Wheels for Wellbeing and I, they agreed to meet with us after we published this report because um, we did. We wrote to their transport team directly yeah. and um, it was actually a very constructive meeting. Okay. They have paused their rollout of EV charge points. Oh, wow. Um, they're not putting them on pavements anymore. They're developing new policy which will move to curb build-outs. Um, but, that's, but, but you had that conversation. You raised the problem, had the conversation. This is, they are Leo. That's the, in action, solving problems. That's yeah, yeah. What it's about. Ter- terribly gratifying, actually. Very, very yeah. gratifying. So yeah, look, yeah. Mo- moving on, this, this other graphic, one of the other things that we found was just there is a wild variance mm. between London boroughs in how many EV charge points they have installed. Um, so some places have installed literally just a handful. And ironically, those boroughs are the boroughs that are most car dependent. So they're the boroughs that have the, the least public transport access. And weirdly, it cuts up like they're also the boroughs. There's the Healthy Street Scorecard in London, yeah. which, which ranks London boroughs by their support for active travel, essentially. They're all the boroughs that score worst on that as well. So, you know, these are places that are extremely car dependent yeah. relative to other London boroughs, but I just have done absolutely nothing. So these are the same boroughs that we wait in as we're recording this. We're waiting to hear the result of the judicial review yeah. that various yeah. donut boroughs have brought against the London mayor for the ULEs. Those same boroughs emerged the worst from this analysis yeah. you know they've just done nothing to support residents to switch to ev so i just thought that was really interesting and mm. then you've got the the hot spots in the middle of town westminster and hammersmith and fulham are incredibly um uh, they, they, they have installed enormous numbers of ev charge points um each of those boroughs uh, more than the whole of wales right oh wow <laughs> okay yeah um so you know we're talking 1500 plus um, well, you have around the 1500 mark when 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 we submit this, and they've done hundreds more since. Now, this this the chart on the right shows you the proportion that have been installed um, in each borough. On green in the carriageway, as per best practice guidance. Red on the pavement, in defiance of best practice guidance. Okay. And then yellow is this uh, sort of you know the grey area in the middle, essentially, which is installing ev charge points in lamp columns so that is lamp post conversions and that is one of the that that has i mean you can see from the chart it's come to dominate the rollout in london and i strongly anticipate this will also happen in other local authorities where the lamp columns are placed curbside they're, yes. they're sometimes set back you know every local authority has a different approach to this and some highways authorities many many years ago decided to site their lamp columns set back from the pavement for them lamp column conversions won't work very well but for on-street residential charging the kind the, the duty cycles for that infrastructure right that use case actually is quite easy to meet with slow chargers which is all you can fit so you're talking about yeah, only okay. a couple of only a couple of kilowatts of capacity um so you need to leave your char your car charging overnight but that is what most people will do on residential mm. streets so actually it's a very good pragmatic solution um 
Red is just people have been slapping them out on the pavement. Yeah, um, <laughs> just walloping and... them in the, in the middle of the pavement. Uh, you know, that's the, the worst possible thing. And you can see see that spread, Bexley so and Barkin and, and, and Dagenham. You know, Barkin oh and Dagenham and Bexley. Um, I think Barkin and Dagenham backed out of the legal challenge in the end, but Bexley is uh, one of the litigants, I believe. And then Bromley, I have to say. Bromley's at the top because they have also done a percentage of, of the carriageway, but also their majority of their installed ones are on the pavement they've, they've snuck up the top of the list because of the fact they are also installing on the carriageway but um yeah there's, there's... and then look we, we we shouldn't if you just look down the bottom of the list we shouldn't let havering and hillingdon off the hook <laughs> yes. because they they just literally installed none they had none none on the public highways right yeah. so there are some there are some public ev charge points in supermarket car parks and so on in those places but they are not things which have been controlled by the highways authority mm. Hillingdon is the council that is leading the, the uh, legal challenge against the ultra low oh emission side. So, you know, you could draw your own conclusions yes. from that. Good uh, Havering, is, Havering is the most car dependent uh, borough in London. Greenwich, bless them, they're very apologetic. They failed to keep ad- accurate records. So oh, no. <laughs> they do not know. They couldn't tell me where they'd put their EV charge points and they were like, hmm, we probably better check. Uh, so they're in the yeah. process of auditing that and <laughs> come back with some but, numbers. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nice one. So then, so what's quite useful is to take that and then jump that into, so that's relative yeah. numbers. Let's, let's look at the absolute numbers. numbers. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. So Haringey looks very good on the previous bar chart. Haringey looks like it's doing a great job because most of its charge points have been installed on uh, curb build outs. But, uh, you know, over 50%, the only London borough to have put more than half of its charges but then look where Haringey is on this yes exactly it's all the way down there so it's just installed very very few charge points um so it's important to look at these metrics from a few different angles i think yeah, um, yeah for sure so you can see hammersmith and fulham as per their policy not a single one on a curb build out right um and absolutely enormous numbers installed on pavements so something around 450 you know, Oof. something just shy of 500 of these things in, appeared on pavements in quick succession. And, and Westminster as well, also you know, huge, yeah. huge numbers. Okay, less huge on the numbers. pavement, but but big numbers of, of 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 sort of still huge numbers that are being located on the pavement. And then we've got to give a shout out here to uh, to Camden and Walden Forest in particular because uh, I think ones with numbers are possibly slightly un, uh, unreliable, but Camden were very confident in their numbers. Um, Walden Forest has installed more EV charge points on curb buildouts than any other London borough. Yeah, and I think that really in many ways that is actually the most important metric right because that what that demonstrates is a very sophisticated and grown-up approach to transport decarbonisation policy making right they have recognized that there is a threat to pedestrian space they're prioritizing pedestrians as per their road user hierarchy as per their transport strategy you know so Warden Forest has smashed it Uh, Camden regrets that red bit on that bar and they won't be doing any more of that um and they have got a very they've got a very they've got a framework for rolling this stuff out which includes like a bespoke public engagement process um which means that they can do this stuff quite quickly it's lamp column charges everywhere they can put them um but uh fast charges where they're needed yep. you know to plug gaps in provision and um we did a bit of a deep dive with Camden. You know, I asked them a bunch of questions. Our office is based in Camden, so mm. we've got a good relationship with the with the team there. And um, the officer responsible gave me lots of extra information. And a couple of really crucial things, I think, for listeners um, mm. is 
for a start, um, people don't object. So it's putting curb build-out charges in reduces parking supply. Yes. And it's very, very hard to take away parking spaces. Yeah. Like normally when you try to do it for any reason... Serious political rejection. capital required to burn, the, burn up parking spaces. Exactly. Yeah. But installing EV charging infrastructure in parking spaces doesn't seem to trigger that kind of uh, ah. hostility from the public, which I thought was really interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. And um, it costs about two and a half grand, Camden said, uh, for the civil works mm. for a curb build out, which was less than I was expecting. And yeah. Walden Forest say uh, it's costing them more like 3,750. So I don't know if that's um, suppliers or design or what, but you know, that's the sort of ball, ballpark figure that you're looking at, right? So two and a half grand to 3,750. Um, these are the guys who've actually done a lot of this stuff. Um, and crucially, they don't report any difficulty in justifying the extra expense to the government agency responsible for funding uh, this good, stuff, okay, which is yeah. the Office for Zero Emission Vehicles. So, you know, they have in their eligibility, their assessment criteria, there's a bang for bucks metric, you know, You've got to be showing good value for money. So that is how many charges am I going to get for this grant that I'm giving to you as a highways authority? And obviously you're going to get fewer if you put them on curb build outs. Um, but Camden says we've never had a problem justifying that extra expense um, mm, that's for complying good with good practice. So, yeah, it's just important. You know, if people are watching and they're actually involved in rollouts. Like yeah. those are things you might worry about but um, they turn out not to be major concerns. Fantastic. Yeah, and, and I know there'll be people listening to this because I, I know a few of them out there uh, who are involved in this sort of specking. So yeah, that, that is really useful information. Railnatter, never never knowingly not giving you all the extra juicy details that you might need. Um, brilliant. Yeah, thanks, Leo. So the next next couple of graphics. Um, uh, yeah, so this alludes to the thing that I was just uh, talking about. You know, there is just a very strong correlation between boroughs that are doing, that are ranked highly on the healthy street scorecard, right? So boroughs that are doing good work to support modal shift to walking and cycling also tend to have installed high numbers of EV charge points. Um, Westminster and Hammersmith and Fulham are interesting outliers here. They're off the curve, you know. Um, yeah. The line, the line. Uh, so here's the, there's kind of a, there is kind of a, a bit of a, yes. a, a trend here. I'll, I'll exactly. draw the trend line. What are they doing over there? So you can see, you know, they've installed way more EV charge points than you would have expected based on their Healthy Streets scorecard score. Yeah. Um, and then the graphic on the right is is. I, like I say, this is probably the most important metric is, well, how many have you put on the carriageway? Because that really tells you that you've actually thought all of these issues through. And um, you can see there, Walden Forest, Camden and Wandsworth are the only ones that have really installed meaningful numbers. Uh, Harringay is coming up fast in the rear, but, um, uh, you know, still some way back. Hackney's now catching up. Islington's catching up. I mean, the boroughs you would expect to see, if I'm completely honest. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we think that's the kind of, you know, the gold standard is, well, how many have you actually put on a curb build out to date? Because to do it requires some political will. Yeah. You know, you've got to be prepared to give up parking spaces. And of course, it's not just that the public doesn't like that. Local authorities don't like it either because of foregone revenue. You know, they do generate money yeah, from yeah. parking spaces for transport so pervert again we talk about and you, you've talked about the framework of incentives and and and, and, yeah. and use the word perverse to describe them it's, it's unfortunately the whole exactly. so system you is give built up the nothing. Way. if you put them on the pavement 
you've given up nothing. And typically, yeah. there's revenue sharing arrangements with local authorities. I couldn't get any details on those because they're commercially sensitive. But you know, local authorities, this is a new source of revenue yeah. where they get a cut of the money from the sales of electricity for EV uh, oh, okay. motors. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how I don't know how substantial that is. You know, we'll start to see it as a budget line um, in local okay. authority accounts yeah. over the over coming years. But, um, you know, contractually, I don't know what those numbers are like. It's important to remember residential parking in London, at least, is a loss leader. You, you, it loses local authorities money. Um, they do not recover the cost of administering the controlled parking zones from oh, residents. That's um, interesting. Which is, yeah, which is a lot. Of, not a lot of people know that. That's, again, that's sense of London research. Yeah. Um, where they're making a surplus, which they typically do make, a surplus on parking it's short stay parking and it's penalties like that, oh, that's, that's where they're making money they don't make money out of residents and of course if you think about the politics of it it makes sense because your residents live there and they vote uh whereas the short stay parking may or may not you know they're probably from outside the borough um so you know they're the cash cows essentially um anyway moving on moving on yes so um uh, coming to a rail natter touchstone this is the good stuff tell tell why are where are people getting it right why are they getting it right leo why are they getting it right and how so are they maintaining that quality so these are all snapshots from people's um transport strategies or or analogs of right have a plan so, um, <laughs> it's good Cam was, yeah. yeah one of the first out of the block so healthy streets healthy travel healthy lives the camp transport strategy um they've had it since 2019 mm. It is a very, very thorough uh, and comprehensive piece of work, which has involved, it involved residents in drafting it, right? So they did this thing of making sure that they had a mandate for delivering, um, you know, traffic reduction, right? Mm. Modal shift, street road space reallocation. Um, they've, they've got a bespoke framework for engaging it's uh it's a fantastic document it's comprehensive it covers walking it covers cycling it covers public transport it covers ev charging infrastructure it covers all of those things uh walden forest over on the left yes that is a place for people not cars i like it because it is very uh explicit yeah <laughs> yes i like <laughs> uh, that so it's, it's good it, it, this is a section of their climate change strategy mm. um which again the you know the camden healthy streets healthy travel healthy lives that camden transport check arises from their wider climate change strategy right so it, it, it follows on from it just like the Walden Forest one does and this the place for people not cars is the transport section of their climate strategy um and then in the middle is the newest of these documents which is has really made an enormous impression it it's a it's a wonderful piece of policy because it is explicitly targeting the curbside and again it falls out of their climate change Strategy. So again, like so many others, they declared a climate emergency in 2019. They set a near-term uh, decarbonisation at zero date. And then that has a cascade of other policy documents that followed from that. And this curbside strategy, the reason it's so trailblazing is that it commits to uh, reallocating 25% of the curbside oh. in Lambeth from car uses to other uses. Um, and, you know, in fact, I say from car uses, the other uses does include EV charging. But the point okay. is, yeah, yeah. you know, they are not going to be so they're, they're, they're going to. And I, I, I'm hoping possible is going to work with Lambeth on helping to deliver these mm. uh, goals. It's going to be quite difficult. But, you know, things like 
they're going to put street trees. There are many streets oh, in Lambeth which have been judged to be impossible to add street trees to because the pavement's too narrow. But guess what? There's some more space on those streets yeah. now. And it's, where the, <laughs> yes. it's where the cars are parked currently. So, you know, this is this is true of so many other places. And actually looking at the curbside, focusing in on that. Lambeth, only a minority of households in Lambeth have access to a car. Yeah. But the public realm is still dominated by cars. So what you've got in these, these three, you know, the places that are getting this right have got holistic strategies that are uh, that address all of this stuff so they so they don't just allude to oh we need a modal shift they say we need a modal shift and then they get into detail mm. like well what's what actually needs to happen yeah. to make that modal shift uh, a reality right how do we get more people to walk how do we get more people to cycle and um that's what you need so the thing the the common uh, feature of the boroughs that have been installing lots of EV charge points on curb build-outs is that they are actually working within a framework. You know, they've got a framework for delivering against their climate goals. Whereas Westminster and Hammersmith and Fulham, you know, Hammersmith and Fulham's last cycling strategy is from 2014. Oh dear. And, you know, it hasn't got a walking strategy. It has no, it has no transport strategy. Yeah. It still still doesn't have one. They, they promised one. I think the Labour Party promised one in their 2022 local election manifesto. Still no sign of it, you know. But meanwhile, they sort of go off. They pop off with like, oh, we're going to put an EV, EV. Make sure every street's got an EV charger. But it's not embedded in any framework. It's no so plan. Yeah, absolutely. It's you know as a consequence, this having aggressive EV charge point rollout targets, but without a holistic strategy for how you're addressing transport in your borough that's what leads to these perverse outcomes where suddenly you've got 500 EV charge points have been installed on the pavement yeah it's just that's just such a big that's like one the big drum bangy thing that we do that we shout about here in real Natter towers is if you have a plan things you can do rolling programs you can do you can justify this the, you can politically justify this to the electorate you can say well okay that's happening you know we're taking that parking space away but that's because we're gonna you're gonna double your bus frequency or we're gonna you know you can have the strategy without the strategy it's very it's it's very difficult to deliver this on a number of levels whether it's you know whether it's the officers knowing what they're supposed to be doing whether it's the, pol yeah. the whether it's the politicians knowing what their message is or whether it's the electorate the voters being angry because they don't understand what's happening and they don't see how it fits into a bigger picture they're just seeing a bad thing happening without an obvious good thing happening it's exactly. just so important and this works so, a local regional you know city and national level uh, and indeed you know pan national as well yeah so that is you know that's what the boroughs that were getting this wrong don't have this the boroughs that are getting it right do so i think that that's one of the key lessons from the report is like Make a holistic strategy. Yeah, absolutely. So having a transport strategy is key. Don't just charging infrastructure strategy if you don't have a, also have a walking strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's it's not possible. You just you have to have you have to think about the bigger picture. Have a transport strategy. It is key. Um, right. It's in classic um, university lecture uh, end bit style. We're going to put the pictures. We put the pictures at the end. So, yeah, that'd be great. So we want to know what what first of all what does good look like? Um, and these are all your pictures um, or pictures that you've nabbed and collated. So for those who've been wondering, we've been talking about them a lot. What does a curb build up? What does that look like? We've been, you've, we've referred to it a lot. Well, here it is. This is what it looks like. This is a lovely curb build out yeah. so this is one i passed regularly on my way to the possible office in camden uh, in mornington crescent and um 
it's actually, you know, this is a rare example of it not being in use. It's, it's in use very routinely. And what you can see there is, I mean, this this design of on-street charger has the transformer in the same piece of street furniture as the socket. Yes. They don't always. They're often, it's often a separate uh, piece of infrastructure. But either way, what you've got is um, you've taken away some parking. Yep. So a little bit of parking space has been lost to accommodate this little island. And uh, because it is sensitive electrical infrastructure, it needs a bit of protection. So it's got these bollards around yep. it um, with, you know, reflective bollards to stop people from driving into it. The um, there's there's a little uh, there's a little sign telling you that it's there, which is also required. Um, and then you've got dedicated bays on either side. Now, as I've, I think we mentioned earlier earlier on in this conversation, this is not uh, accessible mm. to the safe drivers, right? So it, particularly if you're a wheelchair user, uh, you know, the lack of a drop curb, you, you could use it probably, be quite circuitous. You could go back to that driveway you could see in the background. Yeah, it, come right you know, around, yeah. It, it's, it's not. So Wheels for Wellbeing just wanted me to make sure that I'd stress that and the yeah. thing, because although this is, relatively speaking, this is an example of good practice, we're still not, not quite there, yeah. right? So in a, in a year or two's time, you will start to see boroughs like Camden and Walden Forest installing uh, BPAS 1899 compliant um, disabled access EV charge points yeah. on curb build-outs. So, you know, we should probably go back and have a look at those, see what they yes. actually look like. Yeah, but yeah, yeah this, is, this is a curb build-out. Um, yes. And I know you've got... The next yeah, one is all the lamppost. So this is um, this is uh, this is Westminster, mm. um, and that's a faux heritage lamp column there, which some Camden don't do them in faux heritage lamp columns. Um, you know, there's other considerations, I suppose. Um, you know, around the built environment, but um, this is a good example. You know, it's by the curb, right? Lamp column chargers don't work if they are not suitably located by the curbside. Because you have a cable um, stretched across the be... across the pavement uh, for people to trip over. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, now these are not universally loved. Um, that is a trip hazard. What mm. you're looking at there, right? Mm. It's it's not. There's not. It doesn't represent a massive loss of utility to um, to people who are trying to use the built environment to walk or wheel. Um, it doesn't. You know, it's temporary. It's only while they're charging. Um, but it's not nothing. Now, you know, our view at Possible, I think our institutional view is that basically lamp column chargers are a good thing. Uh, they're incredibly cheap and fast to install. Yeah. So if you are a highways authority facing a lot of pressure to hurry up with the rollout of public EV charge points, lamp column chargers on residential streets are actually a very good option, provided that they're, they're placed correctly. They're, they're an excellent option. Now, sometimes they're too narrow to accommodate the charging infrastructure, you know, which is, there's a couple of different providers uh, who make this stuff now, and often they will give it to the council for free, essentially. Oh, wow, okay. Because, you know, it's a route to market for them, so it yeah. won't cost the council anything at all. Um, so this is good, and you can see why they've come to uh, dominate the rollout. Um, the only thing is that really, because the appeal is that they're cheap and fast to install, they don't cost the council any money, um, that means sort of de facto they're not going to be accessible because yeah. to make this accessible, you would need to add at least at least add a drop curb, yep. right? Um, and uh, that costs you money. So that's the sort of, that's the main worry about them. Um, 
but they they aren't they aren't ideal for disabled drivers and i one one thing i would say actually like in the innovation bit of the report um we talk about potential future charging technology and um induction charging might be a thing in the future it's it's you know it's quite lossy it's not that energy efficient and yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. very expensive at the moment but yes. you you can imagine a scenario where the only private cars remaining on the roads in in a place like in london are cars that belong to disabled people and every disabled parking space being specked out with an induction charger um because of course if you're you know if you are mobility impaired um then uh induction charging is ideal you, just park you don't worry about it yeah off you go you <laughs> yeah, know yeah. Um, yeah, exactly, and 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 you could see that long term, you could see that being a solution in yeah in, in densely in streets that are entirely you know, all the parking on the street. You know, the, the, we we talked earlier about you know the northern industrial terraced streets, you know, narrow terraced streets, two up two down type situation where you, there are not enough lampposts and probably not. Well, actually, I tell you what, let's jump to the next solution because the, yeah, yeah. the next solution is one of the options there, which is it is it's not bad. So this is like subsurface technology, they call it. So the most of the gubbins is is underneath the paving slabs. Um, uh, so that's where the power electronics infrastructure is. And the thing that you're seeing sticking up there, you look at that and you think, well, that's a trip hazard. It only it is a proprietary launch. So this is a Trojan system. There are a couple of different rivals, but Trojan Trojan are the ones he's actually got contracts with some London boroughs. So uh, Brent um, and Camden have both uh, got a couple of hundred of these. And mm. I think Ealing has just signed a contract with them to do more. Um, when it's not there, when you're not charging the vehicle, um, there's nothing. There's just like that round disc on the floor yeah. and it's flush, to, it's flush to the pavement. Yeah. So no, no street clutter when the car is not charging. Obviously, when the car is charging that that is an obstacle and it's certainly potentially a trip hazard and you know you might not notice it and so on so but perhaps not perfect um you know wheels for well-being were skeptical because the lances look quite heavy you yeah, have to carry okay. it around yeah. but I, it's potentially a good solution for particularly residential charging because you you can't just not just any old ev owner can rock up and use it because you yes. have to have a proprietary lance to use the system. So, you know, I think there's swings and roundabouts there, aren't there? You know, there's, so, there's... so, yeah, for example, in, in, that that solution, that problem we talked about, that, you know, in, induction charging being very expensive, this solution in where you've got, you know, um, 100 properties on a street and 100 cars and not very much space to, to and, you know, not, not you don't have a lamppost next to every car. This could be the solution. And, you know, you administer yeah. a lance to every property and that's almost their, their, their key to ensuring yeah. that people don't park next to their spot. So it could, it could work, but... With all the caveats that Wheels for Wellbeing have highlighted and, and, and absolutely you know needs to be considered and, and, and consulted on with them. Yeah. So that's oh, yeah. Don't, don't hate it. Don't hate it. You yeah. Know, it's, a good, it's a good bit of good bit of innovation, I think. It's sort of kind of I, I think so. I do think I do think that is this you know, when I've said don't put anything on the pavement, this you know, a few people threw this at me as a well, this what do you think of this? In honesty, yeah, it's like, yeah, no, actually that is quite a smart solution. I like that. Um but <laughs> yeah. and there's a lot more of this than there is of what we've just looked at yeah. that's the reality what does bad look like what does bad look like so the, what's I love that you said well, maybe I should have ended on this but actually no you know what we're going to start bad with the electric vehicle charging parking spot directly outside the front door of Great Minister House which fans of the yeah. show will know is the headquarters of the Department for Transport <laughs> so this is the Department for Transport's own guidance on EV charging infrastructure uh, says don't put it on the pavement put it on curb build outs 
um, but Westminster Council installed one literally outside the front door. Um, incredible. So it made it really made me laugh when I saw it. You know, it's Westminster. You will have seen from the bottom. You know, they, they haven't done any on curb build outs yeah, or not yeah. at the point when we did this study. Uh, Westminster has changed administration now, and they are much more sympathetic um, and won't be doing more on pavements, which is great. Um, but yes, this is just it so exemplifies the fact that the pedestrian, the road user hierarchy is just a theory. It's completely yeah. hypothetical. And you can see how hypothetical it is because the pe people responsible for producing it and the policy <laughs> documents it's supposed to inform have literally just happily installed, done something that um, is, you know, it turns the road user hierarchy upside down, right? Road space reallocation yeah. is a requirement. But what has happened here is road space has been reallocated from pedestrians to the car users yeah. and um yeah so this is this is a this is a classic example from westminster and it did make me laugh when i saw it excruciating absolutely excruciating but perhaps more typical and and to be honest this is people have, you know before ev charges popped up people will be familiar with this sort of crap for all yeah. sorts of other stuff whether it's broadband telecoms yeah. whether it's parking meters no matter you you name it just crap appearing on pavements all over so the place looking like it, this even even like people non-disabled people approaching from opposite directions along this pavement would need to wait yeah right? they need to wait for the other person to pass to be able to get past it's created a chicane so the black box is a transformer at the back yeah and then so you've got the post which is required to tell people there's a thing and then you've got the charging post um, and it can't be right by the curb. It has to be set back by a certain amount. Um, and so you end up with a clear footway width that is extremely uncomfortable for pedestrians um, and possibly not navigable for yeah. people with mobility problems. It's, so uh, it's, it's, it's Simon Smith and Fulham. Yeah, yeah. We, um, you know, because they top the list, uh, of people who'd installed them on pavements, we thought, well, let's go and have a look yeah. at what they did. <laughs> yeah. And um, we inspected 50 different, over 53 different sites. And this is one of those. So that's a Liberty charge. Uh, that's a Liberty charge charge point. That's the provider. And I have had a little look at the arrangements and Housebuilder Fulham is now contractually obliged to host this on their pavement for 10 years. Oh my goodness, mate. Um, so they can't get out of it. Uh, stuck there for 10 years they could leave it, but you know it would be a very costly thing to do so yeah they're stuck with this now it's um, painful so it's a, it's a combination so so this and i have to say I, I absolutely agree with the last dog that passed through here on this um, particular infrastructure <laughs> because there is a nice a nice little bit of um of of, of uh canine graffiti on the bottom of that um of that tower yeah so this is so all the the, the electrical gubbins is in this box yeah the the sign saying this is a, an EV charger is here. And separate to that is the thing that you plug your car into. So that's exactly. three separate items of furniture combined with uh, too much overgrowth on, onto combined, the pavement exactly of the vegetation. It's yeah. <laughs> making this a nightmare to get past, you know. And this is all car stuff. You know, yeah. that's all this, that's all this, this is all just car stuff that has been put just onto the pavement. On, on what's already a narrow pavement, actually. That looks yeah. like a sub two metre pavement to me. It's uh, certainly a sub two uh, metre pavement. It looks like what, one and a half or less, you know, it's not, that's not a big pavement. So really, really rubbish. So, uh, so three quarters of the sites that we assessed, um, you know, which together account for about a quarter, well, no, a bit less than that. You know, of all the EV charge points, yeah, about a quarter of all the EV charge points, you know, are sites we actually inspected. And three quarters of those, less 
less than the two meter yeah. uh, statutory minimum. Um, and yeah, about a quarter of them uh, were less than 1.5 meters. And I know um, you, can, you can't trust it by a picture. It's just, it's so frustrating that you can't trust it by a picture, but there's some irony that, that, that there is only one vehicle in this picture. Like these spaces are empty. Where yeah. you could definitely just put a build out in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, I mean that's right. what you know. The Westminster, the picture outside the front of um, the, the the DFT. There's absolutely space in yeah. that row to accommodate a curb build out. Right? They could have they could have done it. They just chose not to. And this so, I, okay, this plays into lots of other stuff about the fact that cars are getting bigger and that and that that you know is is, yeah. is actually straining pet parking spaces already, and we should be reversing that situation. But it's just all this stuff connects again. Strategy, you know, there should really there ought to really be yes. a DFT strategy and, and and some regulation about the size of vehicles in relation the size of EVs. But then you know, the, anyway, because there already is there is regulation about the size of vehicles. People say, oh, you can't regulate size of vehicles. It's for individuals. I said, no, there's loads of regulation about what size vehicles should be you know the yes. height of the the height of the lights the width of the vehicle there is yeah. this regulation why can't they just tweak it a little bit to minimize you know anyway london um, boroughs are from, from glc days london boroughs most london boroughs have height limits on yeah, vehicles okay. they'll issue residents parking permits to mm. um so you know there's nothing to stop them having width or length yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know they currently they're just issuing permits to anyone who asks for one um, even if that vehicle is physically too large to fit inside <laughs> one of their off the on-street parking spaces for which they're issuing a permit, um, it just feels like yeah, it feels like a basic question to ask is does your car does the car you've bought does fit into fit the space? In the space we have available. <laughs> just for give it, it some. Know? Of course, yeah, that's not what's happening. Is local authorities are going around repainting the lines? Yeah, um, and, and so the last one was pretty bad. These photos are even worse. Yeah, this, this is, is so shocking. I've got a folder, you know, I've got a Google Drive folder with like with photos of these, you know, 50, 53 different sites. And they're just some of them are absolutely abysmal. I mean, this is, you know, the one on the right is just like an obstacle course on what was previously a nice, clear stretch of pavement. Yeah. Um, now, there's, there's three charging things, plus the box, the tran you know, the box for the for the electrical gubbins, plus the roads, the, the pavement surfacing job they've done is dreadful to just yeah. add that in, which is never good. So that's going to crumble, not to mention the fact that it's a trip hazard or and makes it difficult for wheelchairs. But I, I don't think you can get a wheelchair through that. I, I think that's completely no, so blocked off. The one off. on the left, I, I think, is not navigable by a wheelchair yeah. and um you know the the worst site we inspected that there it was three of those they're source london ones and um they left 80 90 and 95 centimeters Bloody right hell. so physically not capable to yeah. use that pavement and ironically right next to a disabled parking space as well <laughs> so it's like you can park Oof. there but you're not gonna be able to get out and go anywhere um, and then and in this situation i have a suspicion that okay a, 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 an experienced wheelchair user can probably get through here fairly smoothly but they're gonna have to do quite a bit of direction changing to get through as you say you've used the word chicane this is a chicane absolutely yeah, un unbelievably you know just 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 this is this is what this is what i mean by degrading the quality of the walking and wheeling environment right yeah. so uh, enough to be painful enough for people with mobility challenges that they would just choose not to go this way yeah. right um but even for even for people who are not disabled it's just a pain you don't you want to walk down a pavement like that um it's annoying yeah and it's, it's, and, a, a, it's an interjection we've been talking about wheelchair users having been pushing a buggy around for uh, nearly six yeah. months now it's eye-opening isn't it yeah, let me tell you how buggies, shit yeah 
our pavements are in Britain for that, whether it's because the road surface is crap and you're waking the baby up or, or, they're, or you're jittering their teeth because the, the, the pavement yeah. surface is so bad, or you're just having to maneuver like this. I'm looking at this chicane. I would have to sort I'd almost have to like stop and rotate the buggy to actually get it through that gap. Uh, and yeah. the buggy I have is not a wide buggy. buggy. Yeah, Again, yeah, yeah. You'd hopeless. have to go a different way. Just absolutely um, hopeless. Yeah, it's very good. I feel like all 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 council officers responsible for transport should be made to travel around with a buggy for yeah. um for a while. You know, I think it would be, really help uh, with our policy and practice in this space. Just absolutely. And this last graphic, I think, is is, yeah. is is a really valuable one to just explain what we're talking about here. So this is every every block that you see there is a site we inspected. And you can see the lines are marked on the pavement. Two meters should be the minimum, right? There shouldn't be anything that is encroaching uh, onto the pedestrian space, onto the footway that is less than, that leaving less than two meters of clear footway with. And uh, you can see three quarters of the sites we inspected did that. And, um, and then, you know, loads of them, uh, loads of them also left less than 1.5 meters. So that means that you can't pass each other. If a wheelchair user couldn't pass a, uh, a, a someone on foot, right? Um, and then the last ones, the hot pink ones at the end, there have less, left less than a meter. So yeah. this wheelchair user could not, in fact, go this way. They they they, they couldn't yeah. get to the end of this. You know, if this were if this were a real street it's just, scene, it's just incredible. And it's you, you you have it laid out here, and you just think, how is someone? Okay how, how, how can this happen? Yes, yeah. you wonder, right? Well, we went back and we, you know, we reviewed the, um, you know, Wheels for Wellbeing reviewed the Equalities Impact Assessment um, for the programs that did mm. these installs. And, you know, the officers have concluded that no groups with protected characteristics would be affected oh by God. this, by these works. Just extraordinary. And that's, extraordinary that's over, that, my, my, my guess is that's overwork. That more than, than the negligence, yes. it's overwork. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's I, yeah. I, just... And that is, yes. And of course, you know, them not having a, not having a framework to work with them. Yeah. You know, yeah. they've just been told, you know, get, get me a load of EV charge points installed. Yeah. And they exactly. don't, it's not in reference to anything else. There's no one, by the way, protect the, um, protect the quality of the, yeah. of the walking and wheeling just, environment. And, and I think, and to, so to conclude this, I think the, the, the way to conclude this is, you know, I've, I've just chucked up an image of, 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 of the sort of thing that we're seeing our streets changing into we're seeing an enormous amount of changes to our urban realm lots of them good actually lots of them good plenty of them less good still but actually we're generally seeing a thrust of lots of positive change happening on uk urban realm and this is the same across you know we've got lots of international listeners this is the same across the rest of the world as well but we this is the moment we we cannot get this wrong now can we leo this we, we have to get it right now at this point there's so little i mean listen there's less time Time, you know, there's less time than people than people think. Um, yeah. This isn't look around us. Right? As we record in this episode, the world is on fire. Europe is on fire. There's wildfires absolutely everywhere. You know, British tourists who can't leave their hotels because yeah. it's too hot. Um, people being evacuated from roads in Sicily. Um, we are only going to get one shot at this because infrastructure changes that we're making to our streets now. That's probably that's probably it. Like that is the yeah. change that is going to be made between now and when we have to hit these incredibly testing yeah. um, climate change targets. So, doing things like installing charge points that have made the pay rendered the pavement inaccessible to wheelchair users, um, but being contractually obliged to to retain that infrastructure for the next ten years, you know, we 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 we've, we that is we can't meet our targets if we get this stuff wrong yeah. and um 
you know, actually, I'll just my sort of closing comment, I think one of the things, you know, what I learned doing this was that all, we all say the right things. And this, the road user hierarchy is very familiar, right? We've all seen it lots of times and it's in everybody's sort of, um, you know, yeah, this is what we're going to do. But then when you look at the actual regulations uh, that highways authorities need to comply with and all, you know, the different factors that are steering them towards different choices, Everything steers them towards um, just just knackering the, um, yeah. the, the the pedestrian environment and uh, and leaving the environment for cars untouched. And I think that you know we will know that the road user hierarchy is actually real, has become real, when we're seeing highways authorities installing pedestrian infrastructure yeah. like street trees and benches not on the pavement but on curb build outs yeah. right that's when we'll know that pedestrians are actually at the top of the hierarchy um and it's not something we've seen yet yeah. so you know maybe maybe in lambeth and walden forest over the next couple of years here's here's hoping absolutely i mean yeah leo thank you that's been that's been so so good we'll come we'll come back momentarily to just say goodbye but as ever the the usual outro plugs um thanks to everyone who's listened to this in audio only format it's been uh, lovely having you along uh, hello to everyone in the chat by the way uh, yes more of the chat can continue in uh gathdenstuk slash discord um to support more rail matter patreon.com slash gareth dennis thank you to my patreon supporters you're all ace gareth dennis uk slash merch for merchandise suggestions for more merchandise always welcome uh, and paypal.me slash gareth dennis for the uh, the abuse the loose coins that sort of thing you know the, imagine me as a fish pond and you're tossing your disused coppers into my open mouth um Yes, <laughs> before well, that bizarre analogy, um, uh, Leo. Actually, yeah, Leo. Oh, okay. A chance for you to talk briefly about possible. Actually, yeah, great. Well, look, you know, we. I'm I'm a director of innovation. That is a very unusual role for a small campaign charity to have, uh, and I feel very fortunate to be able to work at Possible. Um, you know, if you are like me if you frequently got down by the state of uh by the state of everything in relation to the climate crisis and our sort of you know failing to rise to that challenge possible is a good place to come and remind yourself that um actually there is good stuff happening and uh, you know get excited about get excited about solutions because we do we know what we know what we need to do uh, most of it but then there's there are there's there are aspects of this which just require us to do things that are new that we haven't thought of yet. Yeah, and yeah. I am extremely lucky to be in the role where you know that's a big part of my uh, big part of my job. Yeah, is yeah, to help to try to come up with that stuff. Um, you know, usually in partnership with with communities and people who are going to have to live with it and enact it. So, um, yeah, do do come along to our website. Uh, we are possible. People always call us that, but it's just possible is not very good for SEOs. So, um, you know. <laughs> our website is um is we are possible and we are also that on twitter and other social media um well, we've got quite a good social media game so yeah 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 absolutely and there's loads yeah there's loads of good loads of good resources you've got there's loads of good links on there and as you say rail that often ends up feeling and, and seeming like it's a bit a bit down because we spend we're trying to point out the problems so that people can identify the solutions and indeed we try and bring guests on like like we've had you on today leo and indeed as we will definitely have you on again in the future 
talking about the solutions um, to to the problems uh, when we when we when we um, when we talk about writing sunbeams. So it's nice to you know, it's possible is nice. It's a nice thing to direct people towards who if if people want to get involved in positive stuff, just like yeah. you know, get involved in your local cycle campaign, for example. These are ways to feel positive. These are ways to 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 help. To be honest, stave off the the doom is to get stuck in because then you're doing the best you can, and you cannot ask more of that. It's of the yourself. the only antidote to despair is action. Yeah, you know, yeah, 100%. Is, yeah, nothing else sure. works. Um, on which subject? I have no idea what next week's episode is because Future Gareth in the future is going to have to tell us. Future Gareth, what is the, the next episode? It's part three of the Belgrade Bar Railway um, uh, Odyssey, of course. Uh, College into Bar, episode 183. Uh, thanks, past Gareth. Oh, thank you. Well, that's very interesting. Um, so that that's that's what the next episode will be because in post I will drop in this, <laughs> drop in whatever the next episode is. Um, Leo, it's just been an absolute pleasure to have you on it's been so good that's been a it's it's a it's a more traditional episode length good god we've really ramped up the numbers there i was like oh it's going to be a one-hour job and then we've here we've gone we've got we've both got very excitable yeah i'm i'm i get this a lot from my colleagues Uh, (laughs) it's a long form report a long form twitter thread and now it's been a long form rail natter leo it's been an absolute pleasure um i'm a huge fan of the show gareth you know i've learned a lot about uh railways from you mate (laughs) over the last few years so um it's been a pleasure well it's it's always nice to have fans of the show joining and it's it's uh likewise i i always follow your twitter twitter thread at your your timeline and, and, and watching for the next bit of activity that you've been up to or the next thing that you share or a piece of information so uh, yeah everyone follow uh, leo on twitter if if you do nothing else do that it's a it's a good start <laughs> leo let's uh, we shall everyone in the chat thanks for watching right. everyone listening thank you so much everyone cheers now nice. bye bye bye, bye.